are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Here's Nate. Well, in approaching 1 Samuel chapter 15, we of course remember the section of Scripture that we're in here in 1 Samuel. This is a transitional section of God's Word where we are shifting from the priestly and prophetic leadership of the nation of Israel, men like Eli and Samuel, to a theocracy, the kings, the era of the kings. And right now, in 1 Samuel 13, 14, and 15, we're seeing the leadership of Saul, and it's not all that pretty. God has already announced in chapter 13 that he has rejected Saul from sitting on the throne permanently. In other words, his offspring will not sit on the throne permanently, but that God was looking for a man, had chosen a man after his own heart. Of course, uh, speaking of the man to come, David. And Samuel, in verse 1 of chapter 15, said to Saul, and what we're really going to see here in this 15th chapter is what you might call the, the final straw, the, the last straw uh, in Saul's life. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. It had been very hard for Saul to listen to the words of of the Lord. And Samuel, I imagine, just had such a difficult time with the leadership of Saul. Saul was inferior to Samuel in every single way, yet the people wanted Saul to reign over them. And so Samuel announces to him, listen, the Lord sent me to anoint you. Listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 2, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go, verse 3, and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now here we have one of the most difficult sections of God's word. God announces to Saul, he says, listen, I saw what Amalek did in their history to the people of Israel when they were wandering on their way out of Egypt. And I want you to go strike the Amalekites now. It's time for revenge. It belongs to me. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And I want you to kill man and woman, child and infant. That's probably the part that is most difficult. Ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now, what was it, first of all? First things first, what was it, as God was determining now to bring complete judgment upon the Amalekites, what was it that they had done originally? Well, Exodus 17 is the event that is being referred to, and they had ambushed the Israelites who were rather defenseless. And at that moment, after an initial victory over the Amalekites, God promised to blot them out forever. And Deuteronomy 25, verse 17 through 19, tells us that their style or their method of attack was that they found the tired and the weary, the sick and the weak in Israel and attacked them first. We also know from later on in this chapter that they 
had killed the children of the Israelites and had made many other nations childless. And as well, we also learn in verse 18 that they were wicked. There, there was just a sinful atmosphere amongst the Amalekite people. Now, a thing to remember, of course, is that even though this is hard, maybe at face value for us to see or to witness, to understand that the judgment of God is righteous. Uh, we will be singing for all of eternity of the righteous judgments of God. From that perspective in the eternal realm, we will see things differently than we see them here in this world with our own perspective and our own eyes. It's also good to remember that the ways of God are past finding out. Romans 11, 33 and 34 and 1 Corinthians 2, 11. No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And as Deuteronomy 29, verse 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. So uh, God is mysterious and God is... Uh, there's a depth to him and things about him and the way that he decides things that we as human beings should not even expect to understand or to know. And I think oftentimes when we come to a passage like this, we attempt to defend God or to explain his ways uh, when that might be helpful to some degree. And I'll do that in just a moment. But at the end of the day, God is God, and we need to respect him for his judgments and his decisions, understanding that he comes from a perfect and pure decision-making place. We know that he is good. He sent his son to die for the sin of the world. He is very sacrificial. He is not mean or vengeful, but this in some way must have been the best decision to make in light of the reality. So we have to trust the Lord is all I'm trying to say. Now, it is good to realize a few different things. Number one, it's good to understand that God had given the Amalekites from Exodus 17 to 1 Samuel 15 is a span of hundreds and hundreds of years of history. In other words, God had given the Amalekites plenty of time to prove themselves and to repent. But still, uh, they were not repenting. What was in them as a people was firm, wasn't going away anytime soon. And that would be the case of the children and the infants that were there growing up amongst the Amalekites. Generation after generation had continued to repeat that initial error. Concerning the Amorites in Genesis 15, God waited for them to be judged by him until their sin was complete. And so perhaps what God was doing here with the Amalekites was waiting for a time where they had fully proved themselves with their sin, their lack of repentance earned them this judgment uh, from the Lord. One thing I think we often don't consider as well is that it's possible, knowing what we know of God and of his word, it's very possible that these children and these infants, had they grown up in that environment, apparently we already know what they would become. They would become just like the previous generations of Amalekites that had risen up before them, and they would bring upon themselves the judgment of God. Perhaps in the benevolent mercy of God, these children and these infants who lost their lives during this moment actually gained their lives eternally because they had not yet reached that age of accountability. We do not know that kind of thing. We don't know what their 
particular eternal destiny was. That's in the hands of God. But it's possible that things ended up eternally better for them as a result of their death at this particular moment in time. And of course, another thing to remember is that God has the obvious advantage of perspective. I mean, he just sees things and knows things that we do not know. He knows everything that will happen and he knows everything that could happen. Imagine if you were at a park and you saw a dog roaming around and it just looked like a nice normal dog or or maybe it even didn't, but you knew uh, and could somehow see into the future of everything that, that that dog would do within its life. Perhaps you knew that it would eventually go crazy and it would begin to harm children, perhaps even taking a couple of their lives. And if you had that knowledge, you knew the time it would take place, you knew the date that it would take place. And if that's really what you knew, it was not speculation for you, it was not even a prediction, it was just knowledge then it would make all the sense in the world for you to then go and take the life of that animal. And I believe in one sense, that's what God is doing with these Amalekite people. And so God is defending his people, the people of Israel. And he gives this very clear command to Saul. You're to completely devote them to destruction, kill all of them and devote it all to destruction. Everything that they have, don't take any of it for yourself. The instructions are clear. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them, for you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from the Amalekites. So Saul here, before he attacks the Amalekites, he finds a group of people within the Amalekite people, a people called the Kenites. And he tells them, hey, listen, this is what's happening. You guys should depart before we strike the Amalekites. And Perhaps he had done this because uh, these people, the Kenites, were descendants of Jethro, who was Moses' father-in-law. But perhaps he just did it because God hadn't commissioned him to slaughter the Kenites, only the Amalekites. And he wanted to make sure that he separated them uh, from the Amalekite people. And Saul, verse 7, defeated the Amalekites from Havilah, as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Now, this is fascinating because God, of course, had given a clear cut uh, directive to destroy everything. Uh, they then find the things that are despised and worthless and destroy those things. But the things that are good, the things that are worth something, they keep them to, for themselves. They would not utterly destroy them. And I think at times our obedience looks fairly similar to this as well. We're to lay down our lives as living sacrifices to the Lord. 
But sometimes it's easy to have partial obedience or obedience in the easy areas of life. But the Lord has asked us to lay ourselves down, to die to our flesh, to completely destroy the flesh, to see it all destroyed and to take part in the process. There are some things about our flesh that are so unattractive universally. We know we want them to go, but other things that we enjoy, other things that we love, that we want to hold on to. And the people of Israel were holding on to things that God wanted them to devote to destruction. And the word of the Lord came to Samuel. And God said, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. This is man's language attempting to describe what God has gone through. God says, I regret that I have made Saul king. You know, this is, is not working. Saul has not proved to be the man that he could have been. And so Samuel, feeling responsibility for the nation, he wept all night there before the Lord. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel. And behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Notice again the self-centeredness of this man. He makes a monument for himself, goes to Gilgal, again, that place, now the third time that a significant event would unfold at Gilgal for Saul in his life, reaffirmed as the king uh, previously, and in chapter 13, he was rejected from being the king in the future, and now he'll be rejected completely at this moment. And Samuel came to Saul and said to him, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Notice the spiritual sounding words coming from Saul's mouth. The word blessed, the, the name of the Lord saying, I've performed the commandment of the Lord. He was lying through his teeth, but sounding so spiritual. And Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? You know, the, the sheep and the oxen were supposed to be dead. Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Notice again the blame-shifting attitude of Saul. The people brought them from the Amalekites. The people spared the sheep and the oxen. The rest were sacrificing to the Lord. And the rest we've devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, verse 16, Stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. You know, sin has a way of becoming exposed eventually. As Samuel was uh, there after the battle, in verse 10, we discover that God told Samuel that something was amiss and that Saul's obedience was not full and complete. In verse 12, the people tell Samuel uh, what is going on. And now in verse 14, he hears it for himself with his own ears be sure your sin will find you out numbers 32 verse 23 tells us and samuel said to saul 
though you are little in your own eyes. Are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. In other words, listen, you're behaving as if your life and your decisions, your obedience is not important, but, but it's incredibly important. Don't you understand? You're the head of all the tribes. You're the king of Israel. There's an accountability to your life that you clearly do not understand. You clearly do not regard. And the Lord sent you, verse 18, on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? This again was Saul's classic issue. He would hear the voice of the Lord, yet disobey it. Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Verse 20, And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Again, blaming the people and also partially blaming God because he wants these sacrifices to be offered to him. You know, he's trying to say, you know, listen, here's all these sheep, all these oxen. It's obvious to all of us that God wants sacrifices. So in part, this is God's fault. Now we'll see God's response to Saul in a moment. But notice again, this blame shifting attitude of this man. Adam and Eve, of course, did the same thing. Adam saying it was the woman that you gave me. It was her fault and God, by the way, your fault for giving her to me. Eve then blames the serpent. And so we are a blame shifting culture and people. It's embedded into our natural man. And Saul was absolutely an, a, a natural man. And we have to make sure that we are a people who do not blame our behavior upon anyone else. You know, the ridiculous, you know, things that we can attribute our bad behavior to. You know, well, my, my parents, they never bought me a dog. Or my parents bought me a dog and he bit me. Or my parents bought me a stinky dog. Or my dog died. Or my dog wouldn't play with me. I'm being facetious, of course, but these are some of the lame excuses that people hold out. Listen, take responsibility, especially men. That's what the man of all men, Jesus Christ, the righteous, has done. He took responsibility even when it wasn't his fault. He took responsibility. And Saul would take none of the responsibility for himself, but it belonged to him. And he rejected it. And he blamed the people and he blamed God with this lame attempt to say that because God wants sacrifices, we are justified in taking the sheep and the oxen to give as sacrifices to the Lord. But notice what Samuel said in verse 22. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. 
Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination or witchcraft, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Uh, Samuel announces a famous prophetic line to Saul that in God's sight to obey is better than sacrifice. Religious rituals are nothing, especially when they are attached to a lack of obedience. God is looking for a life that overall is submitted and given over to him. He's looking for a repentant people, soft hearted people. And Samuel uh, tells Saul that, listen, disobedience is equal to witchcraft and idolatry. Verse 23, when God gives you that clear cut directive, Saul, you, you have no right to be disobedient unto him. God is not looking for our religious outward external practices. He's looking for a life of obedience. He's not looking for someone who is going to take a full page of notes on Sunday morning as the preacher teaches, yet go home and cheat on his wife. He's not looking for someone to serve faithfully week after week in the children's ministry, yet throughout the week cheat their bosses and perform lazily in their place of employment. No, God is looking for obedience. To obey is better than these religious rituals and sacrifices. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Again, a little bit of blame shifting still. He finally admits that he had transgressed and that he had sinned and that he had not kept the word of the Lord and Samuel and that it had been caused by his own fear of the people. But he says, you know, and I obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, verse 25, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Saul's sin now was complete, just like the Amalekites. And Saul, like the Amalekites, would now be eliminated completely. There was no future for him and his family in the kingdom. And as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day. And has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. What a description of David, by the way. Better than Saul. A neighbor of Saul's, but better than Saul. He was better than Saul because he was a man like-hearted with God. The humility, the thirst for the Lord, the deep relationship with the Lord. It created within David a heart to please God to minister to the heart of God through obedience to the Lord in all ways in his life. And also, verse 29, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Notice the title given to God by Samuel. He calls him 
the glory of Israel. You know, to think of that, the strength of Israel in another sense. What a wonderful title for the Lord. Put your own name in that title. Think of the Lord and think, listen, the glory of my life is God. The strength and the glory of Nate Holdridge is God himself. It's not me or my glory. It's the glory of God. And he said, verse 30, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. Notice the chief concern of the heart of a man like Saul. He wants all of the elders of the people to see Samuel sacrificing uh, with Saul. He wants to see that unity. He cares about the outward look of things more than the inward reality of things. But this is classic hypocrisy, and it is so sad because it was killing Saul. It was killing Saul through and through. Then Samuel, verse 32, said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. You know, Agag, of course, was supposed to be completely eliminated by Saul, but he had kept him alive. And so Samuel asks for him and Agag comes with a cheerful disposition, sort of proposes this idea, you know, hey, surely the bitterness of death is past. It's been a long time since our people attacked your people and well, you know we can reform we can change surely you don't need to lash out against me and Samuel said as your sword has made women childless so again notice the crime of the Amalekites they had actually killed children so shall your mother be childless among women and Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So after this point, Samuel and Saul do not see each other again and uh, God is washing his hands now of a man. Just a sad statement upon the life of Saul. Now in closing, I want to point out to you in verse 33, what Samuel does, he calls for Agag and it says there in verse 33 that he hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. It's a rather brutal little line and text. But I think it accurately describes the destruction of the flesh, the way that it's supposed to be done. Samuel is showing Saul what obedience looks like. And when you're dealing with wickedness, when you're dealing with sin, when you're dealing with something that God is desiring to cut out, to cut off, you have to have a no mercy kind of approach to it. Jesus said, listen, 
You have to pluck out your eye if it causes you to sin. You have to chop off your hand and cut off your foot if it causes you to sin. And of course, we understand that he was speaking with hyperbole. And we understand as well that the hand and the foot and the eye do not cause us to sin. No, that comes from the heart. But we are to deal aggressively with areas of sin inside of our lives. We are to chop and hack and get after it in an aggressive manner. Don't let it live. Don't let it linger. Don't let it stay alive. Because had Agag, had these Amalekites been allowed to live, they would surely come back to fight against and to kill the, the people of Israel. Samuel is showing Saul how it is done. And he is showing us as well. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.